Turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. As we continue on in our study of Matthew's gospel, using one of the blue chair Bibles, it's going to be on page 811. And today we're going to be talking about prayer, both what not to do and what to do with our prayers. And especially in seeing what not to do, I want to share with you one of my favorite prayer stories in the Bible that has a lot of what not to do when we pray. This story is found in the book of 1 Kings chapter 18. I'm going to summarize it for us this morning, and you can go back this week and read through the whole story. But in 1 Kings chapter 18, we have what you might call a prayer battle. And that prayer battle happens between the prophet Elijah and 450 prophets of Baal. Some very good odds there, 1 versus 450. But here's a summary of the stakes of this prayer battle. Read verses uh, 23 and 24. Let two bulls be given to us, and let them choose one bull for themselves, and cut it in pieces, and lay it on the wood, but put no fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull, and lay it on the wood, and put no fire to it. And you call upon the name of your God, and I will call upon the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God." And all the people answered, it is well spoken. So here's what happened. We got two bulls. The prophets of Baal get one bull, and they're to cut it up, and they're put it over some wood, and they are to pray. And whoever is the true God, that God will send fire down to consume the sacrifice. Now again, Isaiah, Elijah, excuse me, Elijah was in a sporting mood, so he lets the prophets of Baal go first. And this is what happens when they pray. And they took the bull that was given them, and they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made. And at noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he is musing, or he is relieving himself, or he is on a journey, or perhaps he is asleep and must be awakened. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation, But there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. Now I'm going to save the rest of the story for the end of the sermon, so sorry you have to listen to the whole thing. But we see these prophets of Baal, one, they prayed for a long time. They prayed from nine until noon. And there were 450 of them. And so they probably prayed really loud. And then Elijah, trying to to get at him a little bit, encouraged them to yell even louder, saying, you know, Baal's out on a walk. He's walking his dog, or he's taking a nap, or he's going to the bathroom. 
And so as also on top of that, until yelling loud, they start cutting themselves so that their God might answer them. Doing all these things to make it so that their God has to answer them. But no one answered, no one paid attention. As we look at our passage today, Jesus is going to show us both how not to pray, but also how to pray. And I want to begin with this bad example of the prophets of Baal, because that's how Jesus begins. He's going to say, here's not how to do it. But let's look at what Jesus says about prayer, Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 5. Follow along as I read. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now we saw this pattern last week in talking about giving to the needy and then about fasting. And we're going to see some similarities throughout the text today. But I first want to begin with something I said last week, that Jesus says when you give to the needy, not if you give to the needy. Jesus says when you fast, not if you fast. And here, he says when you pray, not if you pray. And we should take a moment just to think about our own prayer lives. And it's hard to talk about prayer without feeling shame or embarrassment because there are very few people that I know who have an extreme confidence in their prayer life. It's one of those spiritual disciplines that we always feel like we should be doing more. And I want to talk about that for a second. A couple things to consider as you think about your own prayer life and and honestly take time to reflect on how you pray. Number one, be real. Take some time to evaluate your prayer life. Recognize that certain seasons, both in the year and throughout your life, will lend themselves to more prayer or less prayer. And you need to be honest with yourself of, are you putting expectations on yourself that just are not realistic? There is a desire to grow, that can be hurt when we try to eat the elephant in one bite. And so we need to be real with ourselves. And along with that, the second thing is start with doing. You know, sometimes we can feel fake when we are trying to find new patterns and practices. I give you full permission to start a new prayer practice this week without any shame or embarrassment. Sometimes we find ourselves so trapped in making plans when really what we need to do is just start and learn by failure. Thirdly, along with that, make a plan and find a pattern. Just like regular Bible reading, it really helps to have a plan. 
Be creative. Find the best time of day. Set an alarm on your cell phone. Plan ahead. Maybe it's when you're doing the dishes. Maybe it's when you are on the ferry boat for your commute, which can now make your prayers very long. Um, Maybe it's early in the morning. Maybe it's right before bed. Take some time to figure it out. And also, don't be afraid that you do something different from somebody else, even if that person is really awesome. Fourthly, build up your prayer life over time. Your prayer life needs time and practice to mature. You can't just sit down and decide, today I'm going to pray for three hours. Maybe you start with five minutes this week. And maybe you go two weeks and you add another five minutes. What is important is that we are attempting to grow step by step. But also, don't just put this unrealistic weight on your shoulders that you'll never be able to lift. And you're going to fail. You're even going to have the greatest plan and you're going to mess up. When you pray, take one step this month to grow your prayer life. Whether that's in length of time, whether that's in regularity, or as we're going to see later on in the passage, what you pray about. Don't focus on the end of the marathon. Take a step or two at a time. With that being said, let's now look at what Jesus says about prayer. And again, like we saw last week, don't pray like a hypocrite. Well, what in this context is praying like a hypocrite? Similar to the giving trumpets we saw last week, Jesus has in mind praying to be seen, praying as a performance to people. Drawing attention to yourself in your prayer that they may be seen by others. Jesus describes this as they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners. Now some of that sounds weird to us, but these were a part of the normal prayer practices of that culture. But hypocrites take the normal practices of that time. Back then, you would stand while you prayed. Praying in a local synagogue, just like praying at church here. And there are instances of where commands were made to pray in the streets. But hypocrites take those things and use them for their own glory. Use them to be seen and praised by others And like we saw last week, when you are doing it for the praise of others, you are not doing it for the praise of God. You know, trying to pull this in our own context, it's not hard to imagine while praying in front of people that you pray so that they comment on how eloquent and profound your prayer was. But if you want, if you desire the praise and reward of people, you have forfeited the reward of God. So rather, 
Rather than praying to be seen, Jesus says, look at verse 6, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Jesus gives us this picture of if you're going to pray to be seen by others, you just need to go in your closet and pray for a while. This is not a prohibition of public prayers. Okay, church history helps us with that. It's not that what I just did a few minutes ago, I, I'm not breaking scripture here by praying in public. But what it is saying is it's giving us an antidote to the poison of praying to be seen by others. And there is a regularity to, if you only pray when you're seen, and that's the only time you pray, it shows how empty your prayer life is. If you only were to pray in public, it's a sign of why you might be praying. But if you truly believe in prayer and the goodness of prayer, there's no problem with praying in your closet where nobody sees you. Because God sees you and God will reward you. That's the true test of our belief in prayer. If we believe it works when no one's watching. Let's look at the second uh, Warning against praying as a hypocrite found in verse 7 and 8. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Here Jesus takes up another flavor of inappropriate prayer. And again, beginning with that assumption of when you pray. But instead of not praying like the hypocrites, they are not to pray as the Gentiles or as the nations do. Jesus doesn't want you to pray like an unbeliever. Now, we need to take a step back into the culture of that time, whereas many people who call themselves unbelievers today would also call themselves atheists, not believing in a God. Back then, if you were an unbeliever, you believed in the pagan deities, the Roman deities, the Greek deities, etc. So don't pray like the pagan religious people do. But what does that look like? Verse 7, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Uh, the NFV translation is a good one here. Do not keep on babbling like the pagans. Now again, this is not necessarily a prohibition against long prayers, though this is a good verse to show that just because a prayer is long doesn't make, necessarily mean it was good. But look at that second half of the verse for what we're meant to understand from this. For they think that they will be heard for or because of their many words. The unbelievers use a lot of words because they think that if they use a lot of words, their God will have to listen to them. 
See, in pagan religion, prayer is God manipulation. And if you use a lot of good words, then your deity has to give you what you want because you're doing it the right way. Think back to Elijah and the prophets of Baal. They have to pray loudly to wake him up. They have to pray for a long time. They have to cut themselves to earn Baal giving them what they want. If you think that if you pray a good long prayer that God has to answer it, you're acting like a pagan. Rather, we pray knowing that God is good. Look at verse 8. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. I remember someone quoting this to me in college as sort of a, well, we don't really need to pray because God already knows. And that is completely missing the point. And I told that guy as much when I was a little bit of a saucier 19-year-old, okay? The verse here is meant to encourage us to pray, which my friend completely missed. And again, I quickly informed him of such. We don't need to earn answered prayers by really good long prayers because we're not informing God of anything. And not being a discouragement to pray, it's an encouragement to pray. You should pray because God knows what you need before you even ask. You don't have to earn gifts from God through really great prayers. And maybe that's one of the weights you need removed from your prayer life. Like, God won't answer this unless I pray it right, whatever that means to you. No, God will answer because he is good, and he knows what you need. He knows exactly what you need. In fact, he knows what you need better than you know what you need. And rather than discouraging us or making prayer useless, that actually encourages us to pray. Pray because God knows what you need and that he will give it to you. Now it's at this point in the passage where Jesus switched from how not to pray to how to pray. And some of you might be ready for this because this is the well-known part of the passage. Okay, This is the context for the Lord's Prayer. Now, I want to say this clearly because throughout church history, the church has used this as a prayer to recite together. And that is a good thing. In fact, we're going to do that for our closing benediction. But what I want to highlight at the beginning of this is that is not the primary use of the Lord's Prayer. There's nothing wrong with it, but it's not the primary use. 
The primary use of the Lord's Prayer is to give us a pattern for prayer. It helps us to know what to pray for and how to pray more than just recitation. Okay? Now again, don't mishear me. There's nothing wrong with using it in a congregational context to recite. But again, if that's the only way you use it, you're kind of missing the point. So let's look at how we should pray starting at verse 9. Look at verse 9, how it begins. Pray then like this. Okay, that's telling us Jesus is giving a guide for us in how we should pray. We'll go through petition by petition here. So the first one, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. This prayer begins with an address to our Father in heaven. Notice it doesn't begin my Father in heaven. We pray regularly in the context of our corporate identity with Christ. We pray as a part of the church. We pray together. Your prayers are not just between you and God. You pray as a member of a faith community. And this reflects the normal pattern of the New Testament for prayer that we find, that we pray Our prayers are directed to God the Father on the basis of our salvation through Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. And to begin here also focuses us on on something I'm going to come back to a little later in that our prayers have a worship component to this. That prayers are not just asking for what we need. Now it definitely includes that and we'll get there. But if you take one thing away from this part of the text, know that prayer is an act of worship and not simply a listing of the things that we need. And Jesus identifies God as our Father in heaven, and we see two important aspects to God's character and being in here. Jesus is both, God is both like the Father who loves us and cares for us, but he is the Father who is in heaven, the God of the universe, and he is both of those things at the exact same time. We pray to the sovereign God of the universe who loves us like a father. He is ultimately transcendent and ultimately personal in his love. And there's a confidence in that we don't pray to some cheap idol. We don't just scream to the clouds. But we pray to the God of the universe who is our Heavenly Father. Now the next thing's a little tricky because of some of the translations here. Hallowed be your name. This is probably the only time you use the word hallowed in your normal everyday uh, conversation. Uh, The blue Bible and some of your Bibles may have a footnote that tries to make it a little easier in modern English. Let your name be kept holy. And without getting into the weeds on this, this is some of the difference between how Greek works and how English works and third-person imperatives. If you'd like to know more about that, we can talk later. 
But what does it mean for God's name to be made holy? About this, one author writes, it is not to pray that God may become holy, but that he may be treated as holy. So to pray, hallowed be your name, is to pray for the spread of the acknowledgement of the holiness of God and the worship of God. That people in all places would worship God as the holy God he is. That the holiness and perfection of God's essence and character would be seen by all people. It is a regular call to ourselves to proclaim the holiness of God and to regularly worship God in our prayers. Again, it's important that this is where Jesus begins. And that it is right and good for us to begin our prayers with the worship of God, the adoration of God. Similarly, we see in verse 10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Similarly to praying that God's holiness and the fame of his holiness would spread across the world, here we pray for the spread of God's kingdom across the world. It is a prayer that all people would submit to King Jesus. And what does it look like for God's kingdom to spread? That God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God's kingdom spreads when people submit in faith to Jesus and then live lives of obedience following the will of the Father. The commentators are right to see that God's will here includes both God's righteous demands and his determination to bring about certain events in salvation history. So we both pray for the spread of obedience and following of Jesus and for the fulfillment of God's plan for this world. We can seek some connections to the prayer at the end of the book of Revelation, Amen, come Lord Jesus. There is a prayer for God's kingdom to spread across this earth, for the worship of Jesus to be spread to every tribe, tongue, and people. Friends, we need to include this in our regular prayers. There is a worship component that needs to be included in how we pray. There is a component of seeing people come to faith in Jesus and the spread of his kingdom that needs to be included in our prayers. Maybe that's your step of growth this week, of trying to incorporate worship and the spread of the gospel into your prayers. It's from here that we move to the more traditional understanding of prayer and praying for requests. So let's look at verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread. Bread is often used in the Bible and in the culture of that day to talk about the most basic food and therefore 
talking generally about food and also our needs in the physical realm. If you have a need for your body, if you have a need in your life, bring it before your heavenly Father. Jesus is inviting us to bring those needs and those requests before the Lord in prayer. We've already seen that he knows what we need, and as Jesus will say in the next chapter, in Matthew chapter 7, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? And as Paul says in Philippians, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Because God is our Heavenly Father, we can and should bring Him the requests for what we need. I think one of the ways that we can grow in this is I want you to think about all the energy you put into your worry and anxiety. What Jesus is telling you is instead of wasting it on worry, put that energy into your prayers. Pray because God is the good Father who provides for his children. Pray because he hears all things. And pray because he will give us what we need. At the same time, I do want to give a warning on this because, again, this is a part of prayer that comes pretty natural to us. And again, my only warning here is that our prayers are not simply a list of requests and needs. I once heard it said this way, that we want to pray for our daily bread without our prayers becoming a bread list for God. Friends, be quick to bring your needs before the Lord. He is your good Father who will provide for your needs. Next, Jesus comes to the topic of forgiveness and praying for forgiveness. Look at verse 12 with me. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. One of the other aspects of prayer is confession. One essential aspect of our prayer lives needs to be seeking the forgiveness of the Lord for our sins. And the good news is that because of Christ, when we have believed in Jesus and his death on the cross, when we do confess our sins in prayer, he will forgive us. Now, we're going to come back to this in a little bit, but I want you to notice something specific about how Jesus prays, instructs us to pray for forgiveness. Jesus makes a connection between our forgiveness from God and how we forgive others. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. 
We're going to come back to this in the verses following the Lord's prayer. But for now, I want, to, I want you to see this. Number one, that we have to take seriously the connection between our receiving of forgiveness from God and our ability to forgive others. And here's the general rule. If you truly understand how much you have been forgiven, then you will forgive others. And when we are stingy with our forgiveness... It can be because we don't truly understand the depth of our own forgiveness. And we'll come back to that in a few verses here. Let's go to verse 13 as we finish up this part of the Lord's Prayer. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. If the last request was about the sins of our past and present. Here, this request deals with the sin we are going to commit in the future. The wording here is a little tough to understand because why are we asking God to lead us not into temptation if we know that God does not tempt people? James chapter 1 is very clear. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. So while the wording may be a little difficult, the meaning seems clear. We are to ask for God to protect us from when we experience temptation. We are helped by the next phrase of the request to deliver us from evil. While God deals with our past and present sin with his forgiveness, we must also pray for his protection and guidance as it relates to our future and the temptation to sin again. This is another aspect of prayer that I don't think we give enough thought to, generally speaking. It requires us to prioritize godly living and a life that runs away from sin. Pray for yourself. Pray for each other that God would protect us and sustain us when we face temptation. So after presenting this model of prayer, and again, the transition can feel a little jarring at first, but it's interesting to me that Jesus then comes back to this issue of forgiveness. So let's look at verses 14 and 15. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. How does a lack of forgiveness on our part cause us not to be forgiven by God? The commentators help us out by connecting this passage to a later parable of Jesus in Matthew 18. Let me quickly summarize this parable. You can look it up later during the week. Notably, it begins with Peter asking this question, how many times should he forgive someone? And so Jesus tells a story, a parable, about a master who was settling accounts with his servants. And one servant has a debt that some historians estimate in today's currency would be hundreds of millions, if not a billion dollars. 
The master says he's going to sell all that the servant has to pay for the debt, and the servant pleads for pity. It is a debt that cannot be paid. And when the servant pleads for pity and forgiveness, the master forgives the debt. But then the servant goes and finds another servant who owes him a couple thousand dollars. He chokes the guy, refuses to forgive the debt, and throws the guy in jail. The man who was forgiven about a billion dollars assaults the guy who owes him a couple thousand. The other servants are obviously distressed, and they go tell the master. I'm reading here from Matthew 18, 32 to 35. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. About this, one author writes, the point of the parable does not so much turn on temporal sequence as on attitude. There is no forgiveness for the one who does not forgive. His unforgiving spirit bears strong witness to the fact that he has never repented. When we have been forgiven a debt of sin that we could never have paid, Again, the billion-dollar debt. When we have been forgiven for that, it will show in our lives in that we are able to forgive others. And if we can't forgive others, it is evidence that we don't truly understand we've been forgiven a debt we could not repay. So in that way, that's that connection between our own forgiveness and forgiving others. And when we know we've been forgiven, and the generosity of God in forgiving us and having mercy on us, and when we truly understand that, then we will be able to be merciful and generous in forgiveness to others. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. A couple thoughts to conclude this morning. I hope, I hope I've given you some encouragement to persevere in your prayer life. To use the pattern of the Lord's Prayer to give shape and structure to your prayers, to extend your prayer life to include requests, but not limited to requests. To trust God who knows what you need before you even open your mouth. But let me close a little differently than I normally do by coming back to the story of Elijah and the prayer battle. Because I think you'll see some of the things that we've talked about this morning in how Elijah prays. Beginning of verse 36, 1 Kings 18. 
And at the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Elijah did not pray to be seen by others. Elijah did not babble on like the priests of Baal. He did not try to manipulate God through his prayers. He prayed for God's name to be made holy and for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Elijah prayed knowing that God knew what he needed before he even uttered a word. Elijah prayed knowing that God is merciful and forgiving, protecting and providing for his people. And the Lord heard and answered his prayer. May we have the same humble confidence, cry out to God in prayer. May we this week take one more step to grow and mature our prayer lives. May we as individuals and as a church truly be people of prayer. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word to us this morning that we would be encouraged to pray, that we would take the warnings against hypocritical and pagan prayer, and that we'd be encouraged by the structure Jesus gave us in the Lord's Prayer, that we would take one step this week, this month, to grow in our prayer lives, that we would worship you in our prayers, and that we would bring our requests to God, knowing that you know what we need before we even ask. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for watching this video from Hillside Evangelical Free Church. Our hope is that these resources will help you grow as a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. We're located in Greenbank, Washington on Whidbey Island. And if you live in the area and are looking for a church home, we'd love to have you join us. You can find out more information at our website at hillside-efc.com.